0: Today is Saturday, January 30th, 2021. On this day in 1835, President Andrew Jackson narrowly evaded an assassination attempt, becoming the first American president to experience an attack on his life while in office. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast today we're covering the attempted murder of President Andrew Jackson. During the attack, Jackson was shot at with two separate guns and still somehow escaped unscathed. It was a misty Friday in Washington DC as a party of mourners gathered just outside the US Capitol. They were there to attend the funeral of the late South Carolina representative Warren R. Davis. Among them was 67-year-old Andrew Jackson, who was serving his second term as President of the United States. Throughout his years in office, Jackson earned the reputation of being quick-tempered, strong-willed, and tough. His status as a war hero and general cynicism about big government may have solidified this perception. Regardless, he wasn't one to be challenged, even in his old age. But at the funeral of a U.S. representative, Jackson didn't expect to put his intimidating persona to use. Instead, he walked rather stoically among the grieving, supported by a cane. Once inside the house chamber of the Capitol building, he sat for a sharing of ceremonious words. Seated amongst the crowd, he could have been mistaken for a commoner, But Jackson's white mop of hair and wrinkled face were unmistakable. It was all too easy for unemployed house painter Richard Lawrence to spot him as the president proceeded towards the Capitol's east portico with fellow mourners. While Jackson was jostling through the slow-moving crowd, Lawrence pulled a Derringer single-shot pistol from his jacket and aimed it directly at the president. He pulled the trigger, the hammer fell, and the cap exploded. Yet somehow, no bullet was fired, and that moment of confusion was all the president needed. Gobsmacked, Jackson charged at his unexpected assailant with his cane. Let me alone, let me alone, Jackson hollered, then brought his walking stick down on Lawrence. Unfortunately, the president's days as a war hero were long past. He was unable to plant a meaningful blow before Lawrence pulled yet another pistol from his pocket and aimed it at Jackson. This time, they were much closer, and things looked bleak for Jackson as Lawrence pulled the trigger. The president's aides rushed to protect him, but it was too late. The gun fired, yet once again, miraculously, no bullet was launched. Now even more enraged, Jackson once again ran at his assailant, this time accompanied by Congressman Davy Crockett, who also happened to be his staunch political opponent. It seemed Crockett's difference of opinions had no bearing on his will to protect the president that day. Between the two of them and spectators who rushed to subdue Lawrence, the failed attacker was taken down in mere moments. But the day's drama raised the question of whether Lawrence acted alone or if he was working on another's behalf. Jackson insisted that Lawrence was hired by the Whig party, who viewed President Jackson as a tyrant. And he believed he knew who sent Lawrence to kill him. The man Jackson accused was Whig Senator George Poindexter, who had hired Lawrence to paint his house just months earlier. This information aroused suspicion, but as the day wore on, the press painted their own perceptions of what had happened. It seemed Jackson had more enemies than just the Whigs. Recently, he'd refused to authorize the recharter of the National Bank of the United States, a move that many saw as unconstitutional. A writer for the New York Evening Post even wrote that some in Washington were sure to grieve that the ball of the assassin did not perform its office. Still other reporters believed that Jackson had planned the entire debacle on his own to earn national sympathy. But more than any theory, confusion prevailed. By the end of the day, Lawrence was in custody, Jackson was back in the White House, and everyone was wondering two things. The first, why hadn't the guns fired? The second, what had inspired the assassin? Coming up, Lawrence stakes his claim. Listeners, this month marks 60 years since John F. Kennedy became the 35th president of the United States, ushering his already prominent family into the highest enclaves of political power. But behind their storied successes lie secrets and scandals so severe, if it were any other lineage, they would have been left in ruin. This January, to commemorate this iconic milestone, dig into the dramas of a real-life American dynasty in the Spotify original from Parcast, The Kennedys. This exclusive series from Spotify features your favorite podcast hosts, including me, covering every angle of the Kennedys from shows like conspiracy theories, unsolved murders, crime countdown and others, assassinations and conspiracies, corruption and cover ups, international affairs, and extramarital ones, too. Examine all of the Kennedy family's most controversial moments all in one place. You can binge all 12 episodes of this limited series starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Follow The Kennedys free and exclusively on Spotify. Now back to the story. The failed assassination attempt of Andrew Jackson on January 30, 1835, shook the nation, as many rushed to speculate on what had motivated his assailant. But while there were many colorful theories about why Richard Lawrence acted, the most plausible was that the man had become a nutcase. Just three years earlier, he decided to abandon his house painting job to move to England. When his siblings asked for details of his plan, Lawrence vaguely responded that he needed to escape the States. Lawrence also frequently had conversations with himself, berated those who took pity on him, and took to wearing fancy clothing. This may have been because around this time, children in his neighborhood began calling him King Richard, a title he delighted in. He enjoyed it so much that he reportedly began to believe that he was King Richard III, a British royal who had died three centuries prior. But while Lawrence's delusions and hostility towards those around him evoked concern from his relatives, there wasn't much they could do to step in. So when Lawrence confided in his brother and sister that the U.S. owed him a hefty sum of money, they didn't question it. Instead, they simply let him go on believing his false perceptions. Unfortunately, the more convinced Lawrence became that the government had debts with him, the angrier he grew towards President Andrew Jackson, who had removed all federal funds from the US bank. It's unconfirmed whether such resentments were further inflamed by Jackson's political opponent, Whig Senator George Poindexter, But it was suspected that Poindexter hosted Lawrence in his home to encourage an assassination attempt. However, this remained an allegation, and its truth will never be known. And in the end, even if Poindexter encouraged the assassination attempt, Lawrence's own displays of insanity were enough to exonerate all who may have been in collusion with him. On April 11, 1835, Lawrence went on trial for trying to kill the president. In the courtroom, he went on wild rants, refusing to treat the situation with any ounce of rationality. Instead, Lawrence claimed that he was King Richard III of England, and that the US government owed him money for two English estates he never even had. At one point, he even addressed the courtroom saying, it is for me, gentlemen, to pass judgment on you and not you upon me. But Lawrence couldn't have been more wrong. After only five minutes of deliberation, the jury found Lawrence not guilty by reason of insanity. He spent the rest of his life in various mental institutions, And though Jackson never gave up the belief that a political opponent had prompted Lawrence, no one was ever tried for such actions. As for the misfired guns, investigators test-fired them shortly after the assassination attempts. Both weapons shot just fine. They were believed to have been rendered useless in the attempted murder on account of the damp air that kept the gunpowder from igniting. By some stroke of luck, Jackson beat a standoff against two pistols with odds of one in 125,000, giving weight to the age-old idea that fortune favors the bold. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories like this one, check out the Spotify original from ParCast, Assassinations. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from ParCast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Lauren DeLille, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon and fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Fact. Fiction. Fame. Discover the real story behind one of history's most formidable families in the Spotify original from Parcast, The Kennedys. Remember, you can binge all 12 episodes starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify.